I've had this message kind of in the oven for a while, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of one that doesn't differ from, if I'm in John, I'm going to stay in John. I usually preach, again, verse by verse. And so if I'm in a series, it's hard for me to break away, but right now I'm not, and uh, we're about to enter one. But I felt like preaching this message to our church uh, is very timely because of the nature of our world. And I've entitled this, Are We Coming to the End of the World? Matthew chapter 24, the disciples are conversing with Jesus. And it starts really in verse number 3. They're up on the Mount of Olives. I've been to Israel numerous times and stood right where this might have taken place, on the Mount of Olives, looking into Jerusalem, right above the Valley of Kidron. And very beautiful place. And I'm sure Jesus went to the Mount of Olives quite frequently. We know he did. And they would, uh, they would converse. They would just talk. At that time, it had been nothing but trees and maybe some paths uh, leading down to Jerusalem. And as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the Bible says in verse 3, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Jesus said the first thing that's going to come when we come to the end of the world is there's going to be a deception. I used to read the Bible and I thought, man, the, the coming of the Lord is so far away. Did you, do you agree with that? I mean, when we would read it or hear a preacher preach uh, a message uh, about that, and it, it, I suppose that the distance was there because the description of the last day seemed different from the world that we lived in. But we're living in a much different world today. We're living in a world that uh, is really just seasoned with chaos. I mean, everywhere you look. Everywhere you turn, the alignments of the nations, if you were to go to Ezekiel chapter 37, 38, and 39, we would see some key words in there uh, by the name of Rosh, which means chief or head. The proper name is Russia. Or you would see the name Gog, G-O-G. Or you would see Magog, which is speaking of modern-day Ukraine. I mean, isn't that relative today? Uh, Russia and, and Ukraine is really in the news every day. Matter of fact, it's on uh, the major networks all just about all the time. And what would you read? Uh, maybe what you would have read years ago maybe would have seemed as science fiction, but today it is a reality. We're living in interesting days. And a church member had asked me a question here recently about what's going on in the world, and especially with the pandemic a few years ago. They said, Pastor, what does all of this mean? What does this mean? And let me just say, honestly, I do not know what everything means. I, I have no idea. Matter of fact, like the songwriter who wrote this, I do not know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. Amen? Jesus does. He is sovereign. God is sovereign. And so he is over everything, everything that is happening, everything that is going to happen. And let's observe what Christ said in Matthew chapter 24, and then it parallels what what God revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter number 6. Both of those go hand in hand. And so maybe have your thumb in Matthew chapter 24 and have another uh, maybe hand in Revelation 6. And we're going to turn back and forth a little bit. And what shall we look for? 
How shall we know that the season of his return is imminent and very near? Well, the first thing I already read uh, is how we know we're coming to the end of the world. The first thing is deception. Now, go to Matthew 24 and look with me in verse number 4 and 5. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Jesus says that there's going to be antichrist. There's going to be those that deceive. Listen, we are living in a day already that is very deceiving. There's lots of deception, lots of things. People are so uh, so uh, confused and, and messed up in the head about what does this mean? What does religion mean? What does Jesus mean? What does his return mean? What does the Bible say? People are so confused confused today over those things. Why? Because there is a deception, a great deception. Look in verse number 11 of Matthew 24, verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So we're living in a day. Now this is again, this is talking of the tribulation period. This is not before the rapture. This is after the rapture. But can you imagine if false prophets are rising up today, deceiving many, What's it going to look like when the church is no longer here? And there is a great deception, and there is going to be some people who are rising up. Now, to give you a little, uh, give you a little heads up, in Revelation chapter 4, uh, John uh, is caught up, he's caught up into the heavenlies, and he has revealed uh, uh, the conquering uh, lamb. He's uh, kind of a picture of the rapture of the church to heaven. In Revelation chapter 5, the conquering lamb of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah, prevails to open up the seven sealed scrolls, which are symbolic of authority. It's opening an inherited will. So the first seal, seal of the scroll is opened by the rider of the white horse. Uh, go with me to Revelation chapter 6, if you're already there, and look at the first two verses of Revelation chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering to conquer. Uh, one uh, says this is the Antichrist. He is the power of the Antichrist and he is the one rider who put it, a dark prince on a white horse. He's not coming for judgment. He's not coming to take care of business. Uh, this Antichrist who's riding a white horse is coming to speak peace. Matter of fact, he's bringing a bow, if you look at Revelation 6, without any arrows. So who has a bow who doesn't have anything to shoot? He's not coming to judge the world. He's coming to bring peace to the world. And that great deception, people are going to love the peace because Jeremiah says in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 14, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So there's going to be people that are wanting peace because of the tribulation, but there is no peace at all. Why? Because the Antichrist is deceiving. There is a great deception. We see that white horse rider in Revelation chapter 6. The second thing we notice is not only deception, but hostilities. 
Notice again in Matthew 24 and verse number 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Look at the beginning part of verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It's estimated in our day that at any time there's 44 wars going on in the world. Now we don't hear about all 44. It could be a nation shoots a rocket across uh, a border. It could be a threat. It could be something going on, but they have a war going on. We heard of yesterday uh, over 300 uh, Israelis lost their lives and other Palestinians lost their lives and they're shooting rockets and, and, and shooting each other in the street and we get to see it today in our modern technology videos of people, how sad that it is. Any war is sad. We see other wars in this nation or, or in this uh, global event that's going on. Our nation is being sucked into war whether we like it or not, we're being pulled into war and it wouldn't surprise me if we get involved in one of these wars. And so war is something that happens and the Bible says in Matthew 24 that there will be some hostilities. Go now with me to Revelation chapter 6 and verses 3 and 4. The second seal is open and when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. So notice, peace is taken from the earth. And they that should kill one another. Well, that's going on already. And there was given unto him a great sword. So why is there a great sword? Why are they killing one another? Why are they fighting one another? Because there is hostilities. If you think that it's hostile right now, you've not seen anything yet during the tribulation period. Wars and rumors of wars will rise up and they will fight one another, nation against nation, and as the Bible says, kingdom against kingdom. I love history, and I was reading recently about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein didn't like to have his picture taken, but he had a photographer friend who would take candid pictures of him from time to time. And one day, Einstein's friend had his camera focused on the genius as Einstein was talking about the despair of his formula that he had sent to President Roosevelt. In that formula, the United States took that formula and created basically the atomic bomb from Albert Einstein's theory and formula. He knew that that formula was the, recent, uh, re, the, the reason for the atomic bomb, and he knew out of the atomic bomb there would be much death and much destruction. And that photographer was focusing his lenses on Albert Einstein, and then he noticed that Albert Einstein grew silent. His eyes took on a look of immense sadness. There was a question of reproach. And at that time, that very moment, his friend released the shutter of his camera and Einstein looked up and the cameraman asked, so you don't believe there will ever be peace? And Einstein replied, no. As long as there is man, there will be war. Einstein said on another occasion, the unleashed power of the atomic bomb has changed everything except our way of thinking. And we shall require a substantially new manner of thinking if mankind is to 
survive. Now, we as Christians understand the only way a person's thinking can be correct is that he or she is born again by the experience of Jesus Christ. We understand that that changes a man's life. And we understand there won't be peace because Jesus has been pulled out of society. He's no longer loved. He's no longer adored. He's no longer worshipped. And so society does not understand what true peace is really is. So we see hostilities. We see, uh, we see some deception. But thirdly, we see hunger. Hunger. Look with me in verse number 7 of Matthew 24. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. Dr. John Wolverd said this, to put in ordinary language, the situation would be such that one would have to spend a day's wage for a loaf of bread with no money left to buy anything else. That's a famine. A loaf of bread with your day's wage. You say, Pastor, we're so far from that. I hope so. But there's a part of me looking at the horizon of what is going on in our nation, and there's a part of me that says, you know what, with all what we talk about inflation, and we, we get uh, when things are 10 and 12 and 15 and 20% higher, and you just think about this, as things go up higher, we think, well, they'll come back down. Friend, they're not coming back down. That was good 10 years ago. That was good even five years ago, uh, pre-pandemic. But friend, the, the cost of things, and you can, you can uh, be speculative in your mind, and you can think, well, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, things are going to change if we get so-and-so in the White House. It ain't changing. We, as America, have been spoiled, and we also have been blessed by uh, just, you can walk outside our doors, and you can walk into a restaurant. We can go right down the road. You don't have to get in your car, and you can get something to eat, but it's not like that in a lot of the countries in the world. And there, yes, there are places in the world already that have to spend an entire wage to get food for their family. Hunger is not as far away as we think that it is. And life would be reduced to the barest of necessities. Famine almost always follows the aftermath of war. The Antichrist will control the world. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 17, the Bible says, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, the name of the beast, the number of the name. Well, what follows this hunger? Well, there's then a pandemic or pandemonium. Pandemic or pandemonium. Notice with me in verse number 7 of Matthew 24, the Bible says, In kingdom against kingdom, there shall be famines and pestilence. Pestilence, that's disease. The pale horse, if you go over to Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, the pale horse rider, the one, that, and look at with me in verse 7 and 8, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice out of the beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, or a sickly, a greenish color, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given to them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and hunger and the, with death and with the beast of the earth. Death was, has become and will become so prevalent that it will become basically a proper noun. It is followed by hell, which abode of the rejection of Christ. And death will be with the sword, hunger and death from the beast of the earth. And so this tribulation period will, will be uh, uh, something that will be brought on. Some speculate, some commentators believe that this pandemonium or this pandemic will be brought on by beast. 
I mean, we even speculated that at the beginning of, of COVID, that it was brought on by some bat somewhere in a wet market. We, we know that didn't really pan out the way that they thought it would. That, that's not true. But, but it's not, it's not uh, far-fetched to believe that people thought that it would come from an animal. Well, this, the Bible, I believe it depicts that it will come from some beast. It originate from wild beasts, referring to animals. I mean, we've heard of Ebola and the bird flu and other deadly diseases, and it'll be much like that. And the Bible says that a fourth of the world's population will perish. Pestilence will come. Disease will come. And, and not, nothing like COVID was terrible, but nothing even compares to what's coming during this great pandemic or pandemic monium what I call it. It's going to be a pale horse, according to Revelation chapter 6. And then there's geographical and astronomical turmoil. Notice the last part of verse 7. I'm getting somewhere. Just stay with me. There's going to be pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Astronomical and geographical turmoil. Oh, there's prophecies, the greatest earthquake. And I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake before. And I know that sometimes the, the news will come on and say that we've had some type of earthquake here and they'll, they'll put the scale. But listen, it's weird to even hear or, or feel the earth shake beneath you. And if you've ever been in an earthquake, you know that there's a weird feeling about that. And, and the earth shifting and, and, and settling and platelets moving. And, and that's weird for us. We, we're not used to that. Folks, we've never seen an earthquake like what is going to happen in Scripture. And then the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6 that the moon will turn to blood. And such disturbances in the atmosphere will allow maybe asteroids and other heavenly bodies will be falling to the earth because of the astronomical effects. The world will be so out of orbit and messed up. Notice in Matthew chapter 24, look with me in verse number 9, there's going to be unmitigated iniquity and martyrdom. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations. And then shall the end come. There's going to be martyrdom. There's going to be a, an upheaval. There's going to be a, a, a hatred toward those that proclaim Christ. If you look at verse number 37 of Matthew 24, but as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man shall be. I mean, if you want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 and check out the days of Noah and what it was like, you can. But it was terrible. No man thought of God, everybody doing right in their own eyes. It was a terrible time. We're going to go to that as Jesus prophesied during the tribulation period before the coming of Christ, that they're going to be the days of Noah, as, as even God repented that he'd ever created man and sent the flood. I mean, we understand that God will never do that again, but man's mind never thought of God, only Noah and his family. 
These are going to be the days in which martyrdom and, and just sin. Now let me remind you this. Jesus said in John 15, we've already covered this months ago. John 15, you don't have to turn there. And verse number, uh, verse number 20, remember the, world, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, and if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Can I remind you, everybody look at me, the world hates Jesus. Oh, they don't hate Jesus. I see him on t-shirts. No, 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 no. The world hates the message of Jesus Christ. And if you are proclaiming Jesus, they'll hate you. If you're standing for Jesus, I'm talking about during this time. Now, listen, it's not popular today. But if it's not popular today, it's really not going to be popular in this time. The world hates those that stands for Jesus. Now turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to show you a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor, a young preacher by the name of Timothy. It was a son in faith. He is describing what the last days will look like. I believe Paul even lived in what he thought was the last days. But can I read to you in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse number 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of the, for such turn away. These are the days. Notice verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead, uh, led captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now think about this. In the last days there will be martyrdom. There will be people who are persecuted for preaching Jesus Christ. Paul said to Timothy, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. We're living in perilous times, just in case you were wondering. These are perilous times. If you don't believe me, I, I, just, I, just, I, I want to just challenge you. I don't recommend this always, but I challenge you to go to your local news or let's just, let's just make, let's step it up. Let's go to Fox News. And the reason I said Fox News is I don't watch the other stuff. Amen. Fox News. And uh, go to Fox News and just listen to the broadcast. Listen to the current news and then tell me, Pastor, I, I think we're living in some of the best days. No, 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 no. We're living in perilous times. Perilous times. You say, what do you mean? Well, oh, we're overwhelmed with egotism and self-centeredness. So Paul said it right here, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I mean, I can't think of a more self-serving society than the one we're living in. Paul also said that we'll live in a day where people are calloused against God, blasphemers, blasphemers. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. He called them blasphemers. 
And then, and then in, in verse 2, he said that they would be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. That is an ungrateful society. Can I say this to you? I know we have some young people in here today. I want you to, I want you to pay attention. I know we have some uh, high schoolers in here and, and middle schoolers. Pay attention. And then we even have some college students in here today. Disobedient. Why would, why would Paul write in his letter to Timothy, disobedient to parents? And then he put it in, in Ephesians. The same thing, Ephesians chapter 6, disobedient parents. Listen, young people, it matters how you treat your mom and dad. It matters. You say, well, I'm in college and I'm doing... Hey, let me just say this. Listen to me. You, ne- you may be under the authority uh, or out of, from under the authority of your mom and dad and you're living somewhere else, but we should always obey and honor our parents. You may not line up the way they line up. Listen, you may not always agree, but honor your mother and your father. Hey, uh, he said disobedient to parents. It's a, it's a rebellious, and by the way, all parents said amen. Hey, we, ought to, we want to challenge. Listen, I've got four children. I've got two high schoolers. I've got one that will be in middle school next year. We understand the challenges that come with raising teenagers. We understand the challenge. Listen, I'm not telling you to be a dictator in your home. I'm just saying this. You ought to have the authority. Hey, don't give them the authority, right? You're raising someone that will be selfish and ungrateful. We, we see the abandonment of family love. Notice verse 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Without natural affection. Hard-hearted towards kindred. Listen, without natural affection meaning parents that hate their children. Can you believe that? Can you believe that there's actually parents today in society that hate their children? Can you believe that there are kids that actually hate their mom and dad? That is not natural. Brother Gordon, that's not natural to hate your mom and dad. You say, you don't know what they did. You don't know the jerk they've been. You don't know they did. Hold on a second. It's not natural to hate them. It's not natural. We got kids that despise mom and dad, and we got mom and dad that despise. Hey, how about abortion? Yeah. Someone that would, within the womb of them, a miracle, and would just, for convenience sake, or maybe for whatever. Listen, you may have a different stance on it, but here's the way I look at it. It is life. It is life. It is a soul. There, nobody's asking the child. No, listen, if you don't want the baby, give it up for adoption. Find a family that's wanting to adopt. But friend, let me tell you something. Find an organization, find something. But don't kill the innocent. That's without natural affection. Do you understand that America basically leads the world in abortion? There's a lot of countries that's banned it. We will kill a baby in some states when it's full term. And you'll get a standing ovation in government. They'll stand and applaud for the killing of a baby and say that it's a woman's right. My friend, can I tell you something? That is murder in the eyes of God. And we are living in a society that is without natural affection. We can't define what a male and a female is. We can't find uh, this and that, what marriage is. We can't define those things. We are without natural affection. How about chaotic anarchy, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers, heady, high-minded, false accusers, 
truth on a scaffold, wrong on the throne. Here's what uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof for such turn away. Then there's a pursuit of pleasure without absolute no restraint. He said, laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. We're living in these days. And then notice verse 8 of 2 Timothy 3. He said, and now Janus and Jambres which withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, notice the last phrase, reprobate concerning the faith. You know what they've done? They've abandoned doctrine. Let me just say this. Your doctrine determines your destiny. Your doctrine determines your destiny. You cannot have the right destiny with false doctrine. And here we're living in days of false doctrine. Let's go back to Matthew 24 briefly, and I'll be through. Look look at verse number 14. Matthew 24 and verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness, a witness, unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now this is a wonderful prophecy. Really an encouraging verse just before the Lord's return in glory, the gospel of the Lord and Savior will be preached through the entire world. Now note, go back to verse 14. It does not say the gospel of grace, though it is the gospel of grace, and a form of it. The, the Bible says in Matthew that it is the gospel of the kingdom, and go back to verse number 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Meaning, those that have never heard the gospel, these 144,000 Jewish evangelists will be preaching the gospel of the kingdom to those that have never heard the gospel, and they will believe. What is the gospel of the kingdom? We're going all the way back to Genesis uh, chapter 1, and really verse number 1, that they believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Literally, they are going to go back and understand who God is, and what He has done, that He is the creator of all things, and those that are hearing the message of the gospel of the kingdom will believe and have to endure to the end. Meaning that they will hear and they have to refuse the mark of the beast. That's what it is. That's not talking about our salvation. Listen to me. Our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. But the Holy Spirit of God at the tribulation period is pulled out. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about a great deception. Let me warn you in here. Listen to me. Every one of you in here today, look at me. You are going to give an account for what you've heard today. And if you're lost, you're not going to have another chance. Oh, pastor, I didn't come here today to hear a message on hellfire and brimstone. Listen to me. This ain't hellfire and brimstone. This is the truth. You need to go to a place that actually preaches and warns you that we're living in these days instead of sugarcoating everything and throwing water on the Word. We need to preach what the Bible says. And there is a great deception that's going to come. And you're going to give an account. And those of you that have never placed your faith in Christ, I promise you this, you're going to hear this message again in your mind. I should have listened to that crazy preacher down at Bible Baptist Church. Why did I not believe the gospel? These Jews, you say, Pastor, there's people, yeah, there are people all over the world that have never heard the name Jesus. There's people all over the world that have never heard the gospel. Here in America, very few. I was in New Mexico a few years ago on a, um, some type of hunting trip, and I was 
stopped at a convenience store in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere. When I say nowhere, we don't know what nowhere is in South Carolina, hardly. New Mexico, you walk out the door and you look, and all as far as you could see where I was at was desert. Desert that way, desert that way, and desert that way behind that convenience store. We needed gas. We still had a three-hour drive to the airport. And so I stopped at this filling station and got out and was getting some gas. I walked inside to, to pay, and uh, the woman, the young lady back there behind the counter, I, I said, hey, you know, everything going well? You having a good day? Yeah, I'm having a good day. I said, let me give you something. I said, I'm out here just, just enjoying this part of the country. I said, I want to give you something that tells you how you can go to heaven when you die. She looked at me like I was speaking French. She was like, what? I said, yeah. I thought she might be like kind of, I don't know, acting a little bit. And I said, no, this tells you about a man named Jesus. She said, who? I said, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. She said, sir, I'm not trying to be funny. I have no idea what you're talking about. Here in the United States of America. She lived on an Indian reservation, but we were basically on that reservation. She had never heard nothing but the spirit gods that the, that the Indian culture had taught. She had no idea who Jesus was. There for about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, standing in a gas station, and nobody came in. It was like me and her and a couple guys outside. I preached the gospel to her, and we started all the way with God, and we, we started and went through Genesis and explained who God was, and, great, and I got to, to the New Testament and started talking about Jesus. And listen, about 15, 20 minutes, the tears started running down her eye, or out of her eyes and down her cheek, and she bowed her head and asked Jesus Christ to save her soul. Had never heard the name Jesus. There's folks like that. I, I would realize in America it'd be few and far between, but they are people that don't know Jesus. But around the world, there's millions of people that have never heard the true gospel of Jesus. Those people may have a chance to be saved, and those that are preaching the gospel of the kingdom according to... So it'll be a saturation according to... Uh, the 144,000 Jewish prophets. Notice verse 15. We're hastening. Look at Matthew 24, verse 15. And when therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place who readeth, let him understand. Let Then let them which are in, uh, be in Judea flee into the mountains and let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to, to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For, when, for then shall be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days shall be shortened and there be no flesh saved for the elect's sake, those that are being preached, uh, the gospel, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. And there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. There's going to be a final holocaust in protection of Israel. We see in verses uh, Matthew 15 all the way to verse number 26. 
It says, look at verse 26. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. So Israel grows in strength. If you go down to verse number 32 to verse number 34, we'll see Israel growing in strength and the surrounding nations getting more hostile. And, and however, the promise of Israel is victory. The battle of Armageddon is prophesied in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse number 9, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. We're seeing it even yesterday. Bombs and missiles flying in from Gaza and the Palestinian uh, area over into Israel. Dragging men and women out in the streets and kidnapping and murdering and shooting. Why? Because of the hatred. Listen to me. This is happening now. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in the day of the Lord? Israel is already hated by most of the world. And let me just say on record that America is not a very good friend to Israel right now. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Our administration is basically giving blood money over to Iran to fund the Hamas. Our fingerprints are on the rockets that's being shot Killing. You say, well, I just don't think that. No, I'm telling you right now, listen to me. And you say, well, this current president, let me tell you, the last few presidents have not really been the friend like they should be. I know that's not a popular thing, but there was things done to Israel through the years, not just in the last few years, but through the years that we have distanced ourselves and kept distancing ourselves away from Israel because I believe they're God's chosen people. We, we got to be a friend to Israel. Then we see in Matthew 20, uh, 24 and verse 27 the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He returns. The Bible says, For as lightning cometh out of the east, in verse 27, the shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Revelation 19, He's coming. And let me tell you something. He's not coming to speak peace. He's coming to judge. He's coming to judge. He's going to take care of the enemies of God. He's going to take care of those enemies that all formulate out in there in that, uh, the valley of Jezreel and they're going to come from the east and the west and the north and they're going to come and they think that they can defeat God. But my friend, they cannot defeat the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to defeat them. Listen, church, he's going to defeat them not with a cannon, not with arrows, not with bombs, but with the word of his mouth. Boy, there's power in the word. You say, Pastor, why did you say all this this morning? I'll give you the reason. Look with me in verse 36. But of the day and the hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that it were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not only uh, not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the son of man be notice verse number 42 watch therefore for ye know not what the hour your lord doth come we see the imminency of the lord's return and we ought to be What should it do for us? We ought to see a preparedness. We ought to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Conclusion number one, let us be 
prepared. Are you prepared for the Lord's return? Now, again, church, we're not going to be during the tribulation period. We're not going to be here, but this is a warning to those uh, in, in the tribulation period. The Lord is coming. Are you prepared? Hey, the application this morning is this. Are we prepared even for the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church? Are you prepared? We need to be ready at any time, even though this is speaking of the Lord's return in glory. The same principle is stated that we should be prepared. Verse 42 and 40, uh, I believe 44, it says, Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. So number one, we ought to be prepared. But number two, let us be faithful. Faithful. Let us be faithful. What does faithfulness look like? Well, look at verse 45 of Matthew 24. When then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with drunkenness. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of. Hey, I believe we ought to be transformed and not conformed to the world. Not conformed to the world. Be different. Be a peculiar people, as uh, Simon Peter said. Be, be, uh, uh, be a peculiar people. Be someone that is ready and prepared and faithful for the Lord. Number two, let us remain friends with Israel. I know that it's, that's what's on my heart this morning. Let us be friends with Israel. The Bible says, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in that thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God will uh, fulfill his promise to Abraham through Isaac and through Jacob, Israel. God will take care of the people that take care of Israel. Amen. Let's be friends with Israel. Let's pray for Israel. Let's be faithful in prayer. The Bible says in Romans 12, 12 that we should be continue an instant in prayer. What word instant means diligent. Let's be faithful in prayer. Let's be diligent in our witness. And let me say lastly, if you're not saved in here today, it's time to get saved. It's time to get saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, church. I would not play games with God. I would not play games with God. If, I, if God is dealing with my soul this morning through His Spirit and He's convicting me and as I'm preaching, you're just thinking about uh, what's going to happen to me after I die. Uh, would I go to heaven? Would I go to hell? Or, or maybe Jesus Christ comes in the rapture, and that is the kickoff to the, to the tribulation period, and he takes the church out and takes his spirit out. Uh, listen, when we're raptured, uh, there's not going to be a second chance. So we need to hear the gospel and believe the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came to this earth, He lived a sinless life, He died on the cross, three days later He rose from the dead, and now He's on the right hand of the Father. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins by faith and say, I'm turning from my sin of unbelief to Jesus Christ for salvation, you can be saved. 
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pastor, why did you preach this morning on this particular subject? Because Christmas is coming. What? Well, Christmas and Thanksgiving. And here's what happens. Often we overlook Thanksgiving because... Uh, commercials are being played on TV already about Christmas this and Christmas that, and they've already got Christmas music on the radio, which is unbelievable. I know there's no such thing as Thanksgiving music, but you understand, Christmas music, my son loves Christmas. He started listening to Christmas music, and I'm not exaggerating, in July, loves it. He's like a big elf. I mean, he loves it. He loves to listen to it. It's not, it's, not, it's not uncommon to go inside his room or to hear it coming outside of his room in July. He loves Christmas. But you know what's before Christmas that kind of gets overshadowed Thanksgiving? And here's what we often say. Boy, Thanksgiving is here. Boy, it's hard to believe. It's already... Why? Because we were focusing on Christmas. Let me tell you, the closer we get to Christmas, the closer we get to Thanksgiving. Same thing with the return of Christ. The closer we get to the return of Christ the closer we get to the rapture of the church. And see, often the rapture of the church is overlooked because we're so focused on the second coming of Christ that we, in our minds, put out the fact that Jesus is coming, a sound and trumpet, Gabriel's going to blow his trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Let these words comfort you. Even so come Lord Jesus. And if you're not ready this morning, you're in a great place because you can leave ready. You can leave different than you came. You can be excited. You say, well, Pastor, you kind of scared me a little bit. I didn't expect this. Well, I, I didn't intend to scare anyone. That shouldn't scare you. That should excite you. If you're scared this morning, something's wrong. I'm excited that Jesus is coming again. I'm excited. Next year is the 70th Jubilee of, of Israel starting in March 2024. They'll usher in the 70th Jubilee. I think it was 1049 B.C. And then if you look at 2024 and you divide them by 49, which is a cycle of, 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 of the term Jubilee, 49-year Jubilee, you will get 2024. Now, I don't predict numbers. I don't do that, and you can't. But think, think about this. The 70th year Jubilee starts next March. That is a big thing for Israel. A generation shall not pass. You say, Pastor, why would you say, well, to me, that causes me to get even more excited that the possibility now, Paul was looking for Jesus in his day. We could see another 49 or 50 years or 100 years, so I'm not saying that Jesus is coming next year. What I'm saying is we got much to look forward to. Well, matter of fact, we're supposed to go to Israel next year. That'd be exciting. I don't know about anybody going now, but it's exciting to go next year. Hopefully that stuff will calm down. Let me say, one day we'll all be there, and Jesus Christ will be king. And that's going to be a good day. Whenever the rapture takes place, I don't know. No man knows. If you ever hear a man predict the rapture and say it's going to happen on this date, run. We don't know. 
But we can look for the Savior, and we can see things shifting in this direction. And I think all of us would admit today that we're living in these last days. Is it the end of the world? Looking awful close. But I thank the Lord for it.